Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing, and this week my guest is Carter Covington. He is the showrunner and executive producer of MTV's Faking It, which just wrapped up its three-season run with a very beautiful finale with lots of couples kissing at a dance. What's wrong with that? Nothing. But before we get into that, I just want to say, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I hope you like it. Welcome. Um, I would love it if you guys wanted to write a review for the podcast on iTunes. It really helps people find the podcast. Um, Also, you can like the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. And also, uh, if you'd like to kick in a little to the virtual tip jar that helps me keep the podcast free, you can do that at DennisAnyone.net. I really appreciate it. So, without any further ado now, let's get to Carter Covington. Hey there, I am coming to you from the Sunset Boulevard office of Carter Covington, TV Wonderkind, right? Oh, wow. That's being very kind. Now, what's funny is that when I was growing up, this address on Sunset was where all the game show contestants would write. So, send your request to Sunset Boulevard. Yes, so I know that this is the game show building. Where all my wow. game show dreams would have come true. I didn't know true. that. Yeah. I wonder if that's still happening. So there. Merv Griffin could have banged Denny Terrio on this couch, <laughs> uh, is my point. It's a wonderful view. Um, you are coming off three glorious seasons as the executive producer of Faking It on yes. MTV. Yes. And I was just reading your um, your Facebook wall, and it was the moment when it was announced that it that, that it was ending, and it was so poignant. Yeah. Like I've I've watched the show you know here and there throughout the three three seasons. Um, I can't say I was I, I caught every episode, but it, I know right. But it was like it was like emotional to read the the postings from people that worked on the show and from you and links to articles. I can't yeah. imagine what it was like for you. It's it's been you know I kind of knew it was coming. I saw I saw the storm clouds uh, approaching. Right. Um, so it wasn't in total shock. Um, but it was it's been nice because during the run of the show, you know, most of the feedback you get from I was getting from fans was like frustration. Why aren't our two lead characters Carmen and Amy together? And right. you know, fans I think nowadays feel like they can just tweet you and complain right because they're not getting you know a happy ending every episode which would make really boring tv it's really interesting the dynamic between fans via social media and a show where because you feel like i've never been in the position that you're in where you're trying to 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 do something that's memorable that that that's that says what you wanted to say that also you know the fans like but yeah. you know like I saw the finale of Downton Abbey and I I, I like that show very much but I thought there was no drama mm-hmm. in that finale I didn't see it but I did hear it was very like everything wrapped up like yeah it was kind of and, and there, but it lacked drama yeah um well I think for and I still miss that show don't get me wrong but it's like it's it's ending a show is tough and you also weren't quite sure you were yeah. ending so you had to do something that we did sort of a uh, you know, I knew it could be the series finale, so I left all the characters with new romances. So there were right. cliffhangers about how those were going to play out, but everybody was happy. Um, but nobody got shot, and you didn't know no, who got shot got or shot. something like that. But but as soon as the show got canceled, all of my fan feedback shifted to, oh my god, this show meant so much to me, and this show did so many things to me, which was what we've always been hoping to do with the show. So it's been very rewarding to hear that the mission of the show um, really, really was, is true. And then, you know... You, did, I, you were doing what you what you had set out to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was land. And we had this message of, you know, our, our show had a lot of drama, but the overall message was one of, of love and self-acceptance and tolerance. And, and, you know, we have fans from in Russia and Brazil and, like, all of these more repressive cultures that have this show now that they can watch. So it's pretty... It makes me feel really grateful that I got the chance to do yeah. it. So now, in here on your desk, you have the key to the city of West Hollywood. I do. MTV's faking it. It opens the back door of the alley. Really, it does. Mm-hmm. I'm g- I'm glad to know that it's very big <laughs> and it's very solid. Um, this show had gay characters, it had trans characters, it had intersex characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had every color of the glbt in there we, we hit most of them we, yeah. we we there are a few out there we didn't have gray sexual gender queers 
I don't know what that is. What is that? <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite sure myself. Talk to me about the intersex character, Lauren, because yeah. I didn't even know the term, I think, before um, before your show. Well, you know, uh, it has now become a term that is not appropriate to use, but, it, um, but you know, we always... What is the appropriate we, term? We grew up calling the intersex people hermaphrodites. Right. Which... Um, is an offensive term. No one should use it. You know, right. now it's, you were born intersex, but, um, it refers to about 30 different conditions, um, it, it, under the umbrella of intersex. Uh, so there's lots of so people it, can be intersex. So intersex is an okay thing have, to say? Yes. The word intersex? Yes. And okay. I think that the intersex community are, they're just starting to embrace and sort of own the term intersex. Um, uh, because it used to be um, a little more, uh, what is it called, pathologized? Like, it used to be called DSDs. You have a difference of sex disorder. Right, there was a, it was, was, the it word was disorder, like, like something's a glitch. Yeah, and I think yeah. intersex is meant to be a less medical term and a more, um, you know, hum, human term. Uh, and so basically it... it, it applies to anyone who is born uh, without their either their genitals or their chromosomes matching uh, the sort of binary male-female. Right. So Lauren in, in uh, faking it had complete androgen insensitivity syndrome. So she has a condition where she was born with XY chromosomes. She's, she's born chromosomally male. Um, but her body has this condition where it, it takes estrogen or testosterone and turns it into estrogen so she developed as a female she is actually kind of like a super female because she has zero testosterone most women have testosterone so, right so uh women who have this um have like no body odor they tend to be taller which lauren wasn't uh, right. that's probably the one area where they the character diverged from what most people who have this condition have, but they have um, really nice, beautiful hair. Well, you um, certainly have that. <laughs> which they certainly have. Blonde. And, you know, they can't have children because they, can't. they don't have uh, test, uh, a uterus. And but they have a vagina. Um, they, you know, it's, it's a condition where they, physically they can, they can form a vagina or sometimes don't. Like, there's a spectrum of what their physical body... And... and Part of this show, which I'm really proud of, is trying to take it away from a medical discussion because I think people hear intersex and they're like, what's going on between your legs? Like, what's right. happening down there? And moving it to more of a sort of bigger picture, like, this, how do you, how do you, how do you uh, live? How do you live? Like, what, okay, what's your you, life like? Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't have kids, but you're capable of, you know, loving someone. And you still want to go to that. prom. Yeah, you still want to go prom and be <laughs> pretty and popular. So. Exactly. Some things are are, uh, are, are universal. Um, did you know when, it, when you started the show that, that you wanted to explore that? What? How did it come up? Well, it, um, no, I didn't know. Um, Bailey, then Buntane, now DeYoung. Um, when the she, actress. When, the actress. When she signed on to do the, the show, she had just come off of uh, Bunhead's. Which oh, is a yes. Sherman Palladino show yeah, on, yeah. on ABC Family. And, you know, she's an amazing actress. I, can, I, I was desperate to get her uh, on the show. And I knew that she was a little anxious about taking what could be the, considered the third female lead in our show. Right. And I said, look, she's not going to be the character who comes in and just says bitchy things. Like, she'll have a lot more going on, I promise you. And so she signed on, and then I was like, oh, God, <laughs> i got to figure out what that more is. And um, so we started talking about what what would make Lauren, the character she plays, who she is. And she's got her walls up. She's very... She's big into tradition. She's kind of... Um, she's the Republican in this very uh, liberal enclave. Right. And uh, as we were bouncing around ideas, the idea of her being intersex came up. But we were all... We were kind of like you. We were like, what does that mean? Right. And so... Um, so we reached out to Glad and said, we're kind of leaning about exploring <laughs> this, but we want, need to know more about it. And I'm laughing because I just have this, I, I, your show has so many different kinds of characters. I just have this idea of like once a week you call Glad. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's us I, again. Glad. <laughs> Send over some consultants about this. Like, um, yeah, like they have their own parking space. Like, because you're dealing with stuff that is really 
um, new and, yeah. and complicated, and you want to be... And wanna, I think, you yeah. know, they connected us with Interact, which is um, the main intersex uh, advocacy group. Um, and they're specifically doing amazing things with youth activism. They're really There's a whole generation of kids growing up now who identify as intersex, which is something that humans have never done openly. No, and, it, it, and it, it's like, yeah. It's, it's like, so inspiring to talk me. Talk about coming out of the closet. Yeah. Or like, it's yeah. really unbelievable. But they were, you know, so we heard a lot of their stories and they were very open and honest about you know, a lot of them. What are what are? I'm sure it's different for everyone. But what are their struggles about? Uh, isolation and shame. Yeah. Because they're told um, almost to a T. Everyone was told by their doctor, "You have this incredibly rare condition. You'll never meet anyone like you." And it's actually not that rare. It's as common as being born a redhead. One in two thousand children are born intersex. So it's a myth, but because um, it is propagated, it's, it's just yeah. a lot of loneliness. And then because society is so poorly educated, it becomes this secret, like that you can't ever. And it, and then it becomes this huge burden of if you like someone when and you you're share in a relationship it with somebody, like, yeah. And how do you negotiate that? And how do you you know how do how do you incorporate this part of yourself that you can't ever share with people? So. It, it really, it really was, I, we could have done a whole show just about this issue and we never lacked for story. I was really glad we got to spend 30 episodes cause she came out in the first episode of the second season, kind of delving in all these, all those issues. And, and we had so much more that we, well, especially to. if you take the blonde popular girl in a high school show mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and explore something like this with her, what was her reaction? The actress, when you said, this is what we're going to do. She was just like us. She was like, like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I I expressed, this is why I love Bailey, because she, literally, I just kind of said what I said to you, this is what it is, and she goes, oh my God, it makes total sense. Like, I totally understand why her walls are up. I understand all of it. Like, it clicked for her, too, that, and she's the kind of actress that, I mean, she doesn't just go and read lines. Like, she really likes to crawl into the character and see through the character's eyes. And I think she had filled in blanks about why she had her walls up. But when we gave her this, she was like, that makes so much sense. And she embraced it. And she's been the perfect person to do this because she, you know, really talked to people and and formed relationships with our advisors and really, um, you know, heard their stories. And she, uh, they honored her at a convention. She flew to a convention for an intersex advocacy convention. That must have been amazing. Yeah. She said it was just wonderful. So um, what, what are some of the what's some of the feedback you've gotten from the intersex community? Just wonderful excitement and appreciation because they've never seen their stories reflected on TV. Yeah. And I think it's not only that they see their stories reflected, but they see their stories reflected and people watching it and accepting their, their stories and like liking Lauren and rooting for Lauren. Right. You know, and to to kind of see this person who represents you in a show and everyone say, I love her character. I love what's going on with her. I'm so fascinated. But, you know, I think it's been really rewarding for them to feel like their stories matter, that there are people out there who empathize with them and are rooting for them. Who get it. And and get it. Yeah. Even though, you know, and I've been so pleased too, watching Twitter and stuff that people, people are often like, I still don't quite understand what intersex is or, you know, but, but at least I understand that, that I need to be compassionate about it. You know, I, I, that it's not some weird, uh, you know, some weird, creepy thing. That it's it's just it's just another it's way just another that thing. we're all different. Yeah. Um, are there any particular people that reached out to you or uh, letters that you got that that res- that you think of? I've gotten a f- uh, mostly they write to the actors and the right. actors will share them with me and they're they're pretty moving. It's it's a common refrain of um, you know. This character, whichever name your character, is my story. And mm. I've never seen my story reflected in what Amy went through on this journey or what Shane went through with this character is what I did. But I did have a woman um, last week write me on Twitter. She liked did one of those tweet longer so she could write something deeper. And she talked about um, being... She's growing up in uh, Alabama and how she can't even tell 
her family that she's watching this show, and she watches it in secret in her bedroom. Wow. And, like, that the show has so much stigma that she couldn't be like, yes, I watched this show about sexuality. She's being raised in a very Christian household, and she believes you can be gay and be a Christian, which is one of the messages our show has had. And, um, but that she knows that her family and her friends won't accept her being gay and that she watches the show to give her hope that there's a place for her when she is big enough to leave where she is right now and get out of that town. And she's like a teenager now? Yeah, she's in high school. Wow. So, you know, when you hear those stories and you're like, that's, that's to me, you know, because there are people who can't come out. They're not, it's not a safe environment for them to come out and they, they need the hope that there's something beyond where they are right now. And yeah. I think that that, that that really moved me, and I, I'm always moved when when I hear fans, like a lot of our Russian fans will write in very broken English, like, you know, we stream, they illegally stream the show, and they're in Russia, where right now you can't, you can get arrested for holding someone's hand. But they, you know? so they see the show illegally when they're in oh, Russia. Yeah. It's yeah. not, yeah. Um, I think actually that's the first season aired on MTV Russia. Yeah. I don't know if the MTV doesn't share with me, hasn't shared with me since then, like where it is, continues to air. Right. It may still be airing in MTV Russia. I was shocked when I saw that they were airing. Yeah, MTV that's Russia. amazing. Like, what? Um, the, the show has F-bombs occasionally and S's that are bleeped. Yes. Is there anywhere in the world where they're not bleeped? No. They're no. bleeped everywhere. Yeah, they make us put the bleeps in. And well, first of all, out. I love that you can include it. Yeah. I, I think, when was that shift? Was that something that your show did, or was it previous no. shows? That Awkward uh, Awkward did that. Yeah. And I, I, I've only watched one episode of Awkward, because right. I really never wanted our shows to feel like anything remotely alike. Right. Um, and I'm a jealous person, so I don't like seeing the competition. Are you um, jealous? I am, I am, yeah, I'm either, like, hypercritical of the competition, right. or I'm jealous that they, they did something, and, like... That's good. That's so helping to admit that. It. yeah. No, Is there I mean, one person that really, ugh. Ryan Murphy. Yeah, thank ugh. you. Ryan Murphy, man. I know. I have a, I just finished a screenplay, and I have a joke in it, where this character, his, his, he, 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 uh, has a show, or whatever, and he goes away, and they're, they're, he's moving out of his office, and the person says, um, don't take anything with a pink post-it on it, because that's going to Ryan Murphy's new show. <laughs> and, I, and the character's like, oh, they, thank God they gave him another chance. Um, and, he, and the character steals something anyway with a pink post-it. So, there you go. Anyway... It's interesting. You're 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 a little competitive that way. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Well, I, I I'm an insecure mess. That's part of why I'm a writer because you've never struck me as that at all. But I haven't known you that well. But yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. No. I'm I'm I am riddled with self doubt doubt at times, and I'm incredibly overconfident at times. Yeah. It's kind of the swing of of. That's the only way I know that life exists. I'm sure there are some people who are always assured in their abilities and confident. But, yeah. you know, you, I see plenty of talented people in this town who have either had success and lost it or can't find it. And, you know, I, I'm constantly... I have just, no idea what you're talking about. I'm constantly <laughs> just like, I don't know why this is happening to me. Like, I really... I genuinely feel that way. I, not that, 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 that sort of imposter complex of like, oh, they're going to find out and not so much go that away. I don't feel like I'm talented, but just like I don't understand what what it is about what I'm writing that is better than you know that has been chosen to be produced yeah. than other people's work. Like it, I find it very capricious, and you know I fight against that anxiety of when's it all going to go away. Yeah, you know and. Uh, I find that the mental game is the most exhausting part about working in this town. Yeah, I wrote one of my questions. What keeps you sane? Well, having uh, my husband, who is also a showrunner, and we can talk about our stresses is helpful. Sometimes it hurts because we do the same thing. Now, his name is Sean. His name's Sean. His Patrick he, Sean Smith is his professional name, but he goes by Sean. And Greek was... Greek, he created Greek. One of his shows, yeah. Um, he ran also Chasing Life on ABC Family. Right on. And now he's uh, he's writing a Greek reunion movie. Nice. Um, yeah. It's about time. Exactly. It's five years. Uh, um, so having him to bounce off of. And then we um, have a son who's three years old. And that was was such a great move because we come home and he's just, his needs are, his needs are immediate and they're not 
they're very. It just is a good perspective. And he doesn't care how many Emmy nominations yeah, he could American give a Horror shit Story what got. I do. Yeah, he's just like, Dad, where's dinner? You know. Yeah. And uh, so that's been really good. And then, you know, I really. I have been working my spiritual side, which is a part of me. Like, I grew up an atheist, but um, when Mac came around, when my son came around, it was such a cosmic, like, I really felt the the kind of, uh, that there is a purpose, that there is some sort of divine plan, whatever it is. Um, so I've been, you know, that's been something that I've been developing and working, like, what what do I believe? I've never really thought about that. and. So I've been exploring that. That's and I, really I think cool. That's the place that my next piece is going to come from. I'm trying to figure out how to like write about this journey because I think that you know uh, I think a lot of people go through this, especially especially when they start to hit some tough times and yeah. you know they question oh, yeah. what life means. But you don't hear people talk about it that much. It's like it's something we all kind of go through, but it's not it's not spoken. So yeah, um, no, but I, I totally that, like, get it. The more I kind of focus in that area, the less my tension is and my stress. Yeah. So it, it has dividends. The last few years have really been like that for me. And, and there was some, some real sort of breakthroughs in understanding my own background and, and, and some kind of real like epiphany moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, I got it. Now let's, let's make life, let, life needs to get a little easier. Yeah. I got, got the, got the memo. Totally. Um, <laughs> but I'm still sort of in it, but I'm really grateful for those lessons. Yeah. I feel like they're game changers in a way well, in terms of how I move forward, how I, uh, experience it's ups and downs. Otherwise you do the Huge. same thing over and over again. Huge. And but I it's think, like part of me wants to look up in the heavens and go, I got it! You well, know? one thing that I, you know, when I started writing, I was like, oh, if I could just have a TV show. If I could just have my own TV show. And then you get your own TV show. And then it's like, if I could just, you know, if I could just have a bigger TV show. Like, if I could just have a network show. Right. If I could just have Ryan Murphy's show, you right. know. Like, that never goes away. And I keep, it's the one thing I realize. I'm like, if I keep, if I keep finding my life inadequate... Because it's not this next step. It's right. one thing to have goals and want to pursue something, but it's another to not be appreciative and grateful for what what I have now. And one of the big lessons for me in the last few years is when you are vulnerable, vulnerable, and, and you connect with people, you realize that everybody's got their stuff. Like mm-hmm. people that from the outside look like they've got it all together. I mean, nobody is skating through this business. Yeah, and we all take every interaction and. Make it about us, like yeah. either. <laughs> like I have to yeah, they didn't like me, or they thought this yeah. or well, and, and they're in their own world, they're in their own reality. Yeah. I'm reading this really trippy book called The Seed of the Soul. I'm writing it down. I love trippy yeah. books. Well, I found it. Oprah, it's like Oprah did the foreword. I'm a super solar. Yeah, yeah so and she's had Gary on the yeah. Zukov who wrote it. Right. I like it because it's spirituality without religion. I have a real problem with sure. any sort of dogma. Um, but it's all about um, how, like, we all have our own reality. You know, my reality is here. You and I are creating a reality because we're sitting here and doing this interview. Yeah. The people who are listening to it, they're now a part of that reality. There's the reality of people who live in California. And there's, like, all these levels of reality that we are creating. At, at and, and I love thinking about it like that because it is it is we do have agency it's not like we're just sitting around waiting for god to like make things happen we can we can shift our reality and create it we're, we're like working in tandem with whatever is bigger than us so we do have the ability to affect change which mm-hmm. i've never wanted to be in a world where it's like i can't do anything so i might right. as well just throw my hands up no it's very and, and also you go through enough things you start to feel like nothing you do makes a difference yeah and that's a really bad place to be but it's all about if you you know i do believe in karma it's all about karma like if you put you had a character energy out there i did then you get negative karma back you yeah. know and if you put positivity out and i've seen that in my own life countless times so you know I don't know. That's, Do you meditate? I'm horrible at it. I'm working on it. It's the thing about right it now, is there's no good or bad way there to isn't, do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, I think, the lesson is, you know. It's something that I'm doing now, and, and uh, I, I, I'm not, like, a whiz at it, but I, I, I get it now yeah. in a way that I never did before. I, I took a few courses and stuff like that. 
Um, good. It's hard with a three-year-old because I would I'm probably sure. do it in the morning, and he's up at six fifteen. He's got things night. to do. I want Cheerios, Paw yeah. Patrol. What's he obsessed with? Paw Patrol, <laughs> which is, is a TV show on Nick Jr. Okay, that is about a fleet of superhero puppies. Well, they're not really superheroes. One's like a fireman, and one's a policeman. And they're one, like the village people you know, of puppies. One's a construction guy, and one's a recycler. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> they are the village people. So being a but, showrunner is one of the most stressful jobs I think anyone could have. How does, how does it look on you at its toughest? Are we talking, like, lots of coffee? Are we talking <laughs> sleeping on your office? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty... Uh, the good... Good thing about Mac is he's forced me to keep compart like keep my, right. my writing time from creeping up. So I work eight thirty to six. And that's it. Yeah. And then after he goes to bed, uh, you know, if there's a script that needs to be read, or I need to work on a script, or I need to rewrite something, or uh, I'll work on it in the evening. Um, uh, but stress to me is when, like, I'm getting. I try to be a really nice boss. I think everyone I worked with loves to work with me. But I know that my mood affects everybody else. That's, right. the, that's, to me, the hardest part about being a showrunner. Is if I'm stressed out and pissy, then everybody's having a bad day. Right. So, and so the hardest days for me was when that's a challenge. When right. it's like maintaining my equilibrium and keeping a positive attitude is more than I can handle. That's right. when I know I'm like... Because really not only are you stuff. frustrated, you know that it's contagious. Yeah, and it just will create more problems for me. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of selfish to be that way because it, it if everybody else is happy, my life is so much easier. Right, of course. And if I'm stressed out and making everyone else is happy, un- unhappy, then my life gets a lot harder. And then I, I would imagine that emotional role, that the father of the show kind of role, whatever, when the show gets canceled... Do you tell the people? How do you deliver the news? Yeah. Like, there's a whole ritual that, that I imagine. Well, I've been really open with the cast. Um, right. You know, even shooting this past season, I was just like, guys, we may not get more. Let's appreciate these ten while we have them. I really wanted everyone to not look back once we were canceled and be like, God, I wish I'd enjoyed the last ten more. You know? Right. Especially season three. It's when everybody starts to get, like... People get a little cranky, and, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, if you're an actor, you're like, I've been playing this role for... I'm not saying my actors were like this, but it's a natural, like, desire to have... To want to, like, flex your muscles creatively in something else. And so, um, you know, it's it's all about keeping everybody focused on, like, we're we're lucky to get to play these characters. We're lucky to get paid right now. We're lucky to get to tell this story. Let's remember that. Let's make the most of it. Let's do the best thing we can. Um, I think Michael Willett is enchanting. He is. And I was once on the Van Nuys Flyaway bus, and he was behind me. (laughs) And he was a very nice person, from what I observed. Like, the way he interacted with... I think he might have been with his boyfriend or something. I don't know if he has a boyfriend. But anyway, I was like, that's a good guy. He is... He's become like my little brother. He plays... What's the name of his character? Shane. Shane. Yeah. He is such an old soul, and uh, I just admire the shit out of him, because to be uh, an actor in this town, and to be openly gay, and, you know, that's, he's charting, like, an entirely new And young. And young, and gorgeous, and, like, an amazing singer, and a great actor, like, he's, he's the full package, and he is, um, he's not someone who gets bogged down in fear. Like, he's just like, that's I'm going to be me, and, awesome. and I'm going to attract to me. And that's more important to he, me than playing whatever the game is I need to play. To he, yeah, I think he on. trusts that if he shines as himself, he will draw to himself the opportunities. Uh, so and he's, that's young to kind of come to, to that. To get that, yeah. yeah it's awesome. Um, donuts, they sent donuts to save faking it. They did. And I, I'm sure, like, lots of other fans... So donuts are because in, in the pilot, Amy... Had a T-shirt on that had donuts on it. Well, of course. She's, we've kind of made it a running joke where you know there's been episodes where she's handed a donut and she eats a donut and you know. So the donuts were shaped like letters and it said "Save Faking." Yeah, it. they sent donuts that said "Save Faking." It plus six dozen other donuts to MTV. Wow. I know. 
And MTV was like, they sent me a picture of them. They're like, isn't this sweet? And I called them, and I'm like, oh, my God, you got some donuts. And they're like, yeah, we um, we sent them to you. <laughs> I'm like, they were for you. Like, the fans wanted you guys yeah. to eat them. They they shipped them to our production office, which is actually, our uh, most of our crew is producing the show Mary and Jane that MTV is producing. Nice. Um, so they sent them to them. So I didn't even get to eat one. You didn't even get a donut. Yeah. Where were you? Where did you shoot? We shoot in an old book bindery in Burbank called oh, all right. um, called ATB Studios. Yeah, it's all great. Right. Seven minutes from my house. Boom. Where do you live? I live in Los Feliz. Nice. Yeah, right by Griffith Park. There you go. Um, you've written a lot about teenagers. Yes. Um, More than I expected. Do you do you <laughs> long to to write for grown-ups or adults or? Um, yeah, yes and no. Like, there's definitely my ego side that, like, I don't like when people call me a teen writer. Right. You know, that really pisses me off. Um, I think it's, I think there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of people who have written off this, my work because it's not for adults. Right. Um, which I think is really dismissive and rude. Pisses me off. You look at, like, Breakfast Club and I think of John Liz and Mean yeah. Girls and like you know, all these amazing things that have had such cultural currency and there's a reason why high school, if done right, it it resonates with everybody. So and that's what I believe that I do. So I get annoyed by that. And I kind of want to prove everyone wrong, but um, but I also love the fact that when you're writing for this age group, you have a chance to really connect with and help people because it's such an important time in your life when you're really trying to figure stuff out. And, uh, you know, I don't think you get that same, I don't think it's as rewarding to write a show for someone 25 to 35, you know, it's like, yeah, that's more entertaining someone, but you, you have less of an opportunity to really like really make a difference. Someone's life. Yeah. yeah. What were you, you grew up in North Carolina, right? I did. Yes. Um, in Salem. what do you think of what's going on there now? I am horrified by it. My parents are still there. They they don't understand it. My, I had a friend from middle school and her husband who came and stayed with me, and they're like, it's just insane. I think that um, it's really, they are sort of a microcosm of what's going on in the country because it's so polarized now. Um, I think that they're using this bathroom bill and these trans issues as a new wedge Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just gross to see them pull out this old playbook that they've used, you know, whether it was with race or gay people, and now it's trans people. Another way to sort of divide people. It's it's uh, it's it's disturbing to me because it brings back my memories of growing up there, which was wonderful people who were nice to your face, but you know when they go to church or when they are with each other that they, they don't have they don't have any respect for you as a person or any compassion for you. And that's what you felt like growing up. I felt like being gay was not okay. It was not something um, that I could do in North Carolina. And I were you closeted much, until you came? Yeah, out I was. Until you actually, away. I think it. I didn't come out until I was twenty five. Which right. you know, who knows if that would be different now? Society being so different, right. but um, yeah, it wasn't until I moved to New York City and I was like. Oh, I can. This is easy. <laughs> it's easy to be gay here now, but um, but no, I wasn't. I wasn't out in college at University of Virginia. I didn't know an out gay person, not a single one. So. What are the people like back there in relation to you now? Because you're gay, but also you're on. T- you're successful. Nice. You're you're Hollywood. You're yeah. Like that sort of trumps gay in a way. It was interesting like at your to class go reunion. back to my reunion <laughs> last year. Yeah, where it was really fun. I mean, I highly recommend. Yeah. Anyone no, I had that thing at my class reunion. Yeah. I got, I got like, an award. Oh. I got an award for the most exciting lifestyle, <laughs> or the most glamorous lifestyle, or something. Because I was working on cruise ships at the time. But anyway, <laughs> um, what was it like? It was. Um, well, it was nice. It gave me a big, deep appreciation that I do something unique. You know that not many people get to do. So right. I really like that. Uh, it was also a little frustrating because there were people that I was really excited to connect with, and I had a lot of people coming up to me who were like, "Hey, we heard about you," and it's like that person that you're like, "I don't want to spend any." I, right, like you, you better talk to me. You weren't important to me in college, so yeah. why? Why are we catching up now? Like you're only talking to me because you're impressed by what I do. So you kind of also get to see the other side of that, which is 
how people will, will sort of suck up to you and be nice to you because of what you do. Which feels good, but it's right. also a little, like, false. It's really false and kind of... Was it your college reunion or high school It was reunion? my college reunion, my 20-year okay. college reunion. There you go. Doom, doom, doom. But there it was, go. you know, I wouldn't trade it. Like, definitely had some friends who um, were struggling with not being where they thought they'd be at their 20-year college reunion. And I think that's a harder... That's a harder... You know, I was lucky I got to come back and have the job that everybody really yeah. wanted. Uh, it's tough. Reunions are really hard. They bring up they bring up a lot of a stuff. lot of stuff about how we are perceived by other people. And I I didn't really get into this to be the the cool happy you know the cool guy who had the cool job. That's just what happens to be the. And I'm glad. I love writing, and that was I kind of didn't have a plan B, but um, but you know. And I, but you're aware of all aware the repercussions of, of how people exactly. relate to that. Totally. Um, what I noticed about reunions is the tenure, people, at least in my high school, people were still kind of playing the roles that they had in high school a little yes. bit. Like, and there was a little bit of clickiness and whatever. Um, and then by the twenty year, everyone's been through so much stuff. It's a little bit more like, oh, can we just all drop that and yeah, talk to people? And totally. Just, there was a we're good... still here. We're alive. And light isn't like Everyone's been through shit and yeah. they calmed down. That was my observation. I also noticed I only went to my five-year and then my 20-year. Right. And my five-year, I felt like everyone brought their boyfriends or husbands or whatever it was. Like, right. there was a deep need to be like, look, I found someone. Yeah. Love me. I have someone. And I went single and I was like, God, man, this is a yeah. And then I went to my 20th, and I was like, Sean, I'm not taking you. I'm not dragging you to this. This would be horrible. It would be a constant, like, hey. Plus, I forget everyone, and I never remember names. So it would just be me introducing him over and over and over again. I'm like, you are not. You don't have to go through that. And nobody brought their spouses. I think everybody was just like, we just want to go back and pretend like we're in college for a weekend again. Right. And people were really letting their hair down. It was fun. It was fun to... Did you get drunk? a lot more fun. Did you drink? Uh, I, didn't, I don't really get drunk yeah. anymore. It's like I get hung over like my second glass of wine. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I didn't. So no uh, but I jacuzzi saw orgies or anything? No, no. Nothing even remotely scandalous. Um, your show uh, uses a lot of social media and, and, and is really in tune with that world. Yeah. But as a writer, it's like a lot to keep up with. It's a lot to sort of... You can't just say, oh, this is what it was like in high school, and I'm sure high school never changes. Yeah. No, you have to figure out technology. Everyone's got a phone. There are probably storylines where you're like, that doesn't work because she would have her phone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ugh. It like, definitely talk makes storytelling harder because if you're trying to do something based in reality, we, are, we have access to people at all times. Yeah. And, so you and, can't be like, well, she didn't know. Yeah. And in a way, our show's not realistic because our actors, I mean, our characters don't have their face in a phone and they're not texting a million, you know. Yeah, they're still that's talking really, to each other. That, if you actually go and watch teenagers at high school, you know, they're constantly with a second screen and they're looking at it and interacting with it. And that doesn't make good TV. Right. Um, but it's it's also just as a writer and a showrunner kind of challenging to figure out, like, my job's hard enough to think of witty tweets all day and and to put them out there it just seems exhausting for free you know and i understand that you know building your twitter following is is a is a smart thing to do for your brand but can i, I jump out the window do you mind if i jump out the window this whole thing i can't i'm not on i can't it's hard it's, it's hard. hard and you're do you have to do it as a yeah i mean i i'm bad at it I'm, i do it to promote the show and i right. I, do, I do enjoy like what i enjoy doing Apparently, the the favorite when you heart a tweet, it's like the new autograph. You know, like I'm giving you, uh, and uh, I'm signing off on what you say. And I do love reading fan stuff and favoring it because I like that they can know that I read their nice message. Right. I think that's really nice. Yeah. And if I were a kid, you know, that had been, if I could have if written Norman Dan, Lear, Darren Star during yeah. 90210 and said, "Oh my God, I'm so obsessed with the show," and he favorited my tweet, I would have been like, "Oh." Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of, that's cool. That's, that's an enjoyable thing. But the, the actual sort of trying to create 
content on Twitter so yeah. that I get more followers and more. It's just no, it's, I can't do it. I was on this press trip recently in Puerto Rico. I told you about, and um, one of the guys on the trip was really good at that stuff, and he really did a following, and he makes sure that he has something to offer. I, and I was like, "You are doing this well. I'm yeah. really impressed." It's a full time H. Job. Lewis presents is his name, but yeah, I was like, I mean, "You have to really I think have about the gym, it and, the yeah. gene for it." No, I think that um, it is getting more and more important, and I think young, you know, people. People who are 22 and coming into this writing thing, they have it down. I mean, they've just grown up with social media. It's, this is where we are it's kind of, of dinosaurs because yeah, we're part trying of their to adopt thing. something that isn't as natural to us. Yeah, so. no, for sure. And you got to either get with it or not. Speaking of riding the wave, you have a Teen Choice Surfboard I Award in your office. Surfboard. Was that, that was for faking it. This was for faking it. First season, right? We all signed it at the finale party last oh, week. That's amazing. Isn't that neat? I love it. Yeah. It's my one award. That's cool. <laughs> that what, were you West there Hollywood. for it? Um, yes, they didn't announce it on the show. They just announced the, God the damn winner. It. Yeah, and MTV, they were like, "They're two thousand dollars. We normally don't pay for it, but we're going to buy it for you guys." And I was like, "Who pays for it?" They MTV. They have to pay for it. it's all. It's all a bracket. I mean, so wait, 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 wait. You, if you want a Teen Choice Award, first of all, I have suspicions. That they're just bought awards. Right. I mean, I I just feel like they're, it's not a legit, <laughs> um, it's, I think that about the People's Choice Awards, I think oh, that yeah. it's about all the GLAAD Awards, you oh, know, yeah. like, it's they're like, all, they're all, who's going to show up, they're all who's going to show up, what are we going to get the most press for, or who's going to pay us the most money right. to give them this, so, you know, it, that's, that part, when we were nominated, I was like, yeah, this is amazing, and then you, as you kind of see it all play out, it's like, oh, wait, this is kind of gross. Right. Um, but and, I'll take the surfboard. But I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a cool looking surfboard. I'm going to take is. a picture of it and post it with this thing. You should. Um, what would you say your big break was? What was the moment, the something that happened that, that turned the trajectory of your career? And I think I, I read about it. It's yeah. What I'm... It was, um, so I started writing a little bit, I mean, not late, but I didn't really start till I was 29. I moved here to go to business school and I got my MBA uh, in 2001. I was going to start a spa with my hairdresser I because I knew in business school I don't want to do any of these jobs I spent most of my 20s in jobs I didn't want to do and I was kind of like this is this I got to do something different and my hairdresser was like I want to start a spa I have a lot of all these great clients and they they go elsewhere for their spa treatments I could do this I could do this and I'm like well I could be your manager I could be your business partner we could open a spa together I like to go to spas but I don't want to run one and but it was it was a it was a path it was like yeah, okay was i'll just do it was this. something it was something in business yeah that seemed like a, an yeah, option like, yeah oh, okay I'm like, and then um and then september 11th happened and that was a big wake-up call for me um plus i had a lot of friends from business school who were in downtown new york and just kind of um seeing that feeling kind of connected to that and just like questioning what am I doing what what's going on here um and I I always felt like I was in LA for a reason and I've always been a TV junkie um and so I just decided I would take a year and figure out why I was here and explore something creative I knew I needed to do something that was more creative than what I'd done um because in business school I was the guy who was writing for the paper and planning the cabaret and like right. you know I my classes were like oh, I guess I have to do the schoolwork. um and can't I just make the float for the homecoming yeah, can't parade? Can I just do that? Yeah. So I um, I took an acting class. I auditioned for an acting class with Leslie Kahn, who's up here, who's an amazing acting teacher. Every time I see her clients, I'm impressed. But I'm so grateful because she, you know, she has you come in and do a scene, and then she gives you a critique, and she just ripped me a new one. She was like, All right, "You have some talent." I was like, "Okay." She's like, but, you know, you come across as really gay, so if you want, ever want to play anything besides gay roles, you're going to need some, like, movement work and some voice work. I'm like, ouch. Like, that's hitting deep oh. middle school stuff, guy. Right, like, exactly. you know, like, what? And then she's Bitch, like, and, and, you know, you, you're not going to be a leading man because you, you just don't have those looks. You know, you can, you can get in shape, but I don't see that really happening for you, so you're going to be more of a character actor and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, like, just stabbing me with... Right. with swords um 
But it's true. It was true. You know, it was like really good perspective on like whether I could do this as a career. And I right. immediately was like, this isn't what I want to do. Like this, everything she just told me, I, I was like, this is so true. And this is not what I want to do. I, I enjoy being around actors because I have such respect for what they do. And I find it kind of magical. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that really wishes I could do it. But a much bigger part of me recognizes that that's not my strength. Mm-hmm. So she rejected me. I mean, she said I could join the class if I wanted, but I was like, no thanks. <laughs> and um, and then I took a, a writing class. I met a, 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 a TV writer at a dinner party, and he was the first TV writer I'd ever met. And I ne- I mean, I'm not a guy who like had stacks of journals and has been writing his whole life. Like, right. I'm not that guy. I never thought my whole life I, I'm going to write um, at all. So I was fascinated by what he did and then I kept talking about it. My roommate was like, would you just call him and get coffee and ask how to do this? And I'm like, I'm not a writer. This is ridiculous. I just am impressed what he does because I love TV. She's like, you're trying to find what you want to do, your passion. You're clearly passionate about this. I was like, oh, okay. So I met with him and he encouraged me to take a class. So I took a sitcom class and a drama class at Extension. Did you write a spec for some show? I wrote show? a Buffy spec and okay. a Sex in the City spec. What happens in your Sex in the City spec? pretty much tells you everything you need to know. I know. What happens me. in your Sex in the City spec? My Sex in the City spec was, um, this was, it was kind of picking up where there was an episode where Charlotte got a dog. Okay. And she was going out of town and she asked Carrie to dog sit. So Carrie goes to the dog park, meets this guy who's super into his dog. She lies and says this is her dog. And they, they have this and kind of Larry and Rose, Rose, yeah. romance. And then Charlotte comes back and wants her dog back. She comes back early. And then Carrie doesn't have the dog, so she tells the guy the dog died. And then he's really there for her. And she's like, that was the perfect move. And then Charlotte walks up with the dog at the end and kind of spoils everything. And I love it. It's a very good, fun yes. episode. Um, and that script got me um, into the Warner Brothers Comedy Workshop. Great. And then... Um, that was the year that comedy basically was eviscerated by reality TV. It was right. like 2003. Um, and Warner Brothers, you know, the whole point of that program is to staff you on a Warner Brothers show. And they went from having uh, 60 shows on the air to having like 16. I mean, it was just a crazy... And you had all these... It was a bloodbath. ...co-EPs who were signing on uh, to the shows at like way below market just to right. have a job. So... So I didn't staff, and uh, but I did get an agent through the program, and they said, well, I, I think really as busy work, they were like, write a pilot, because I had a bunch of specs by this point. And they were like, and this was back when spec scripts were the currency, now it's pilots, but right. you know, they said, write, write an original sample. And so I wrote a piece called Just a Phase that was about growing up gay in the 80s. That's kind of like a Wonder Years with an 11-year-old gay protagonist. We never say he's gay, but it's... Right. And um, ABC Family, that was the year they started doing original programming. And ours was the, uh, that was the first comedy pilot they bought. They, they asked basically all the agencies to send them comedies that were rejected by the networks or just like development that didn't go anywhere. And, and they put my script in there and they picked it out. So you them. didn't even have to go in and pitch it. They read it. And I then... just got a call from my agent saying, I think we sold your script to ABC Family. And Holy never in my shit. mind did I, I almost didn't even, like, I kind of, I'm not with my agent anymore, although I, I still he's still I still care about him greatly because he really did get my career going. But I didn't really understand it when he called. I was just kind of like, "What? Okay, weird." And I remember going in a meeting with them, and they were like, "So we're we're going to shoot it this fall, and we're going to have to we're going to shoot in Canada." And I, and I I left that meeting. I called them. I'm like, "They're talking about shooting this. <laughs> like, is this? Did possible? you go to the set in Canada? Oh yeah. So my first time on set was on my own pilot." Right, you never sat down on the show or anything. I'd never wow. been, I'd never been, I'd never seen it done. I learned a hundred percent on the job. What was the What was the one moment where you really revealed how green you were when you were up there? Like, was there something you didn't know, or a term, or something like that? Uh, pretty much all of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand what coverage was, you know, right. which is when you, you know, you shoot both sides of a scene. Right. Like, I just thought. I okay, didn't they're done. Yeah, I just thought they're done. I didn't know that it took that long to shoot. Right. You know, I was just. Like, why do, why do we have to shoot it for over six days? And I'm like, how, how does this work? 
I didn't. I there was so much I didn't know. And what a I, thrill, though! It was really cool. And the director of that pilot, Robin Plender, was like the perfect person to direct it because he he knew what he was doing, but he loved collaborating, and he would explain everything to me. It was just a great experience. What was it like to look at an eleven-year-old or a young actor playing some version of yourself or something? Yeah. What was that like? Uh, yeah, all the characters were kind of loosely based on my family, and so it was really cool. The 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 heartbreaking thing about that project was we turned it in. So basically, it has this scene about five minutes into the pilot where um, the science teacher comes in, and you kind of do this pan shot down these girls who are so in love with the science teacher, and then you pass by Simon, who's our little gay protagonist, who's also like just dreamily looking up at the science teacher and it, it was very you he had an inner voiceover and it was all about how white his teeth were and blah 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 you could tell he had a crush on him right and we went and did pilot testing this was back when they let creators go to pilot testing so they don't really do anymore oh and, wow um, ooh are we in an hour yeah okay I'll wrap it up okay but it Basically, pilot testing is this dial. Like you show, like a bar graph of what, how in, engaged viewers are, and it was going up, 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 and then this scene happened, and it just dropped. And they were not having they it. They were not having it, and that's and, a heartbreaking and, thing. And ABC Family, to their credit, was like, "No, we're going to do this. We believe in this." Um, but Disney above them, like Ann Sweeney, uh, was really nervous, and so we shot a second episode. We retooled. We did a little recasting. We made the kid a little less obviously gay. It was more just like he was precocious, and it just the show lost its spark, and it didn't. And then then it got killed. So to do faking it now, um, and to be able to have this show that doesn't have to shy away from its gay uh, content and characters. It was so rewarding because that was a really... I didn't realize how painful that was until I did this show because it's hard to watch. You know, you're putting this part of yourself in the show. This is 11-year-old me and audiences it's are like, It's basically somebody no saying, you way. don't test well. Yeah, it's like, fuck this. Well, this guy does not test well. And that was really, really painful. Well, that whole thing, the just-a-face thing for you must have been a, the ultimate roller coaster because... You got this dream thing happening. Oh my god! Yeah. And then it's like getting watered down. It's yeah. getting it doesn't go. It's but it's your life. You're not testing well. Like what was that? That must have been emotionally crazy. It was, it was really emotionally exhausting. And then I thought, and then to go from like oh my god I'm gonna have my own TV show to oh my god I don't have a job. And then selling another I did I sold another project to ABC Family. I started working on Greek. Um, where I, Sean and I were dating and he had sold Greek and then he invited me to come work on that. And then I, I sold, so then I had a job, but I sold another project to ABC family and the same thing happened. We shot a pilot. They wanted to pick it up and Disney killed it. Um, so it, it kept happening to me. I kept having these like, you're going to have this prize. So um, I take it Disneyland is not the happiest place on earth. It isn't. It's not, it's not the happiest no. place on earth. So your show... Uh, faking it. In addition to having a lot of different types of sexualities expressed, people have sex. Yes. How is that to deal with? Is it um, there's you know the the audience is still quite young. You want to be responsible. You want to be fair. You want to be honest. What's well, tough? Um, our audience was twelve to twenty four. Yeah. If you think about that, it's kind of absurd. Like a twenty four year old and a twelve year old should not be watching the same thing. Right. And MTV definitely. Uh, you know, they're MTV. They don't want to play it safe. Right. Um, so I think we, you know, my my now 16-year-old niece watched the show from 13, so I would always think about, like, would I want her to see this? Do I feel like the sex is presented in a positive way? Or, you know, to me, as long as the message is sex is okay with someone you care about, as long as you take precautions. And we've had, you know, Amy slept with Liam and then got the plan B the next day, you know, and that's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, karma was a virgin, but had sex with Liam after he told her he loved her. Um, and I think that that is kids are going to have sex. So might as well portray a version where at least they're trying to make choices, the best choices that they can in that regard. And I also recognize that, you know, I don't think our show necessarily glorified sex. I think we talked about, uh, it was presented that it had real complications, but also 
it was fun, you know? Yeah. And I think that's true, you know? You can't hide from the fact that teenagers want to have sex because it's exciting and thrilling yeah. and fun, and yeah. they're in love, usually, you yeah. know, or they think they're in love, so... Was there a storyline that was really wish fulfillment for you? That was like, oh, if I, in high school, if this had happened to me, I would have been... I, most of Shane's storylines, you know, yeah. him hooking up with an MMA fighter and... A what? MMA fighter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His super hot boyfriend, Duke. And there was a scene where they went to a bar in Texas and these guys um, sort of come at Shane uh, for being gay, and he, like, whips up a pool stick and, and like, beats the crap out of them. And that was all wish fulfillment. That's delicious. I mean, it was really fun, yeah. Yeah, we tried I can see to, that. We tried to make being gay a bit of a superpower. I love it. All right, so you wrote, you picked some questions from the observation deck before yes. we started. What's your favorite perk of your job? Yes. The favorite perk of being a showrunner is that um, everybody tells you you're right. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Like you're, it's it's also something you got to watch. But it's it's nice to be in a world where you get to chart the conversation, you know. Um, but also, uh, it's that's why I think where people yeah. become egomaniacs. Because I can they see live that. In the world. But it is fun. But it's a ton it's really of responsibility. Fun. When you're sitting in a room of ten people and you're like, no, I want to talk about this now. Yeah. And you move the conversation where you want to go. Like, that's fun. It's kind of like a dinner party, but you get to decide what everybody talks about. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a lot of responsibility. It is. I, um, I went through this program at the Writers Guild recently, the Writers Access Project. I think I told you mm-hmm. about it. But, you know, they talked about, for writers, how to interact with showrunners and how to interview for jobs. And they would talk about how, you know, your job is to make their, to, to help them realize their vision. Yeah. And a showrunner is the person that both, everyone involved is hoping they can do it. Yeah. The network is hoping they can do it. Everyone on the crew and the cast, like, everybody is hoping that they can make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. Yeah. And, and uh... And uh, it's also, everybody's career is tied to you. You know, like, if it's a big, flaming piece of crap, everybody has that credit now. You know, yeah. so, the, you know, you, it kind of is pressure both ways. Yeah. You know? So I'm glad that you get the, the perk of, of getting to steer the conversation yeah. and stuff like that. Um, if you could relive one day from your childhood, what would it be? It would be, my family used to go to this amusement park called Carowinds one day a summer. And we were huge roller coaster riders, and there was this one time we went, and there was no one there, and we rode this roller coaster, White Lightning, 11 times in a row. And it's my favorite memory of my family, because we were all so into it, we were having so much fun, and, uh... Parents and everyone got on the roller coaster. Me, my sister, my parents. Sister and, older or and younger? And we would just, it would stop, we would, like, rearrange who we were sitting with, and we would go again, 11 times, and it was just, you know, we were like, we're legends! It was just one of those moments of kind of just we were a unit and we were so into what we were doing and having so much fun together. How old would you have been? I was probably 11. Amazing. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? It reminds me, oh, have you ever ridden a wooden wooden roller coaster? Yeah. I never have. What? I want to. Go to Six Flags. They Do have, they have one? They have maybe I have. two awesome ones. Maybe I have then. I don't think they it's Six Flags. They just redid their Colossus into like, it's it's a hybrid wooden uh, like it goes upside down now, yeah. but it's still pretty amazing. I want to ride a wo- rickety old wooden one. They have a they have a crazy one there yeah. that's based on the Terminator. That's really fun too. Yeah. Have you ever been starstruck? I get starstruck. I've now had Charisma Carpenter and Nicholas Brendan from Buffy. On, nice. Uh, Charisma was on Greek, and Nicholas Brendan was on Faking It. I get starstruck when people, when I meet people from that TV show. Yeah, it was such a monumental show for me uh, in terms of, this is the first time I I thought I might want to be a writer and connected with material in such a deep way and was such a fanboy about it. So that being able to actually then hire those people and uh, has been, you would think I wouldn't be starstruck because I'm offering them a job, but it's like I can barely talk to them. (laughs) Yeah, and you're like, on episode 48, what happens? Exactly. Yeah, I I dated somebody, an ex-boyfriend was a super Buffy file, and we went to the Buffy musical screening over Uh in Westwood, and Josh Whedon made a surprise appearance, and you would have thought it it was just like being at a revival meeting. It was like (laughs) crazy. 
that show has the most amazing legs. I mean, I yeah. still am meeting people who... I talk about Buffy all the time. Yeah. In meetings and everybody I meet. It's been a... It, it, I think it's one of the most influential shows of the last of the last century. But certainly in terms of the people... The, People like you who went on to become writers and stuff like that. But also in terms of what it did. I think it pushed television. It required uh, everybody to up their game. You know, I think that's what happens when you have these shows that are sort of genre-busting and are able to be character and genre and funny. Like, it just, it, you know, it made comedies have to be funnier because Buffy was really funny. It made, right. It made, like, procedurals have to be better because Buffy was a procedural. You know, it made character shows have to be better. Like, it just raised the bar on everything. And I think that, you know, TV is as good as it is now because shows like Buffy raised the bar and forced people. Same with Breaking Bad, I think, came through and did the exact same thing in in sort of the drama, like, serious drama space and pushed people. And The Wire and, you know, these shows that people are like, that show transcended possibility. No one thought it could be this good, so... Do you have, like, I, I, one of the reasons I like faking it is it's like people in the world. Yeah. It's high school. Like, I don't have a, I don't have a lot of the supernatural gene. I don't have the horror gene. I like the people. I like once and again. I like people in the world. Where do you fit in with that? Do you, do you wish you could write a superhero thing? Or do you wish you could, you know what I mean? Every once in a while I think it'd be fun to do something genre-y. And I am, you know, I grew up loving sci-fi movies and horror movies and stuff, but um, but I'm with you. Like, I, what really gets me going is, uh, <clears throat> like, I developed in for network TV for a while, but I found that I like to put too much heart in things. Like, I That's like the show. I like the show to be like faking it could go from a really funny scene to a scene where you're crying, right? You know, with a really intense dramatic moment. Um, and I love playing in that. And you can't really do that in, in network TV that easily, you know. You found it harder to get the heart into I the network. I think networks to... want heart. They, they just don't say want they as want. much as I, wa- I want. Right. Um, you know, because I... I and, and That's really interesting. But then I look at, you know, I keep telling my agents I want to develop my own version of Friends. Because Friends was a show that, even though right. it was a multicam, had that level of emotion... When, especially in the Ross and Rachel, you know, yeah. drama, um, where you were that invested, and there were, you know, and and so I think that network TV is getting back there. I think, you know, a lot of what's working comedy-wise has a lot of heart, but um, but I still think they think of it as like this is a comedy and this is a drama, right? And we keep them both separate, and they'll let a drama be funny, but it's rare that they'll let a comedy be dramatic. Right. There was an article in New York Magazine recently about Friends. I don't know if you saw this. It's huge with millennials. Oh, no way. They're watching it in reruns. I bet. And they're watching it on Netflix like crazy. And they don't remember it the first time. They weren't around for it. And they were sort of examining why this is. And one of the conclusions that they made was that it was friendship before technology There's, came it's and like made wish, everything. A little wish fulfillment to it, I'm sure. It made, yeah, I could I could be with six friends in a room and none of them are on their phone, mm-hmm. or or I just have to deal with this reality. I don't have to deal with my social media yeah. perception, or and there was something simpler about it. And I also think the archetypes are really timeless. Yeah, like each of those characters, there wasn't anything dated about them. You know, like yeah. and and the show, um, you know, the show still feels to me like. I mean, I still watch the the reruns, and of course, I, I have nostalgia for it, which the, nobody does now. But um, but it still feels to me like the the interpersonal stuff that they're mining is as fresh as ever. Yeah, you know? like there might be some parts, you know, they don't have cell phones; they never use cell phones in the show. But right. like, you know, other than that, it's it's still real. All we would talk about in the writers' room all the time. Remember the episode with I have the worst memory, so other people yeah. would remind me of the episode. And you'd be like, yeah, of course, but, yeah, of course, there it is. But but you know, we're always like, oh, Friends did that so well. How can we how can we top that or tweak it or do it differently? But it was a pioneering show that that um, I don't know if we'll ever see a show like it. You know? Nice. I don't know. I know. Well, it's interesting that it's still beloved by by a whole new generation of yeah. people this has been really fun it has been um people can follow you on twitter yes at mr carter yeah um is my twitter handle 
I'm not the most dynamic Twitterer, but I welcome all followers. What's what's it like to run a show and be on Twitter? We talked about it a little bit, but I really... Um, It is... is, Are there times where you're just like, I don't even want to look. I can't look right now. When I did 10 Things I Hate About You, Twitter was so nascent that you couldn't... It wasn't... It wasn't like a thing. Now. Yeah. So I, the benefit is you get to you get to hear how your show's landing, and you get to have fans tell you that they loved an episode, which is yeah. awesome. But you have to take the bad too, which is you get to hear a lot of people unhappy and miserable and bitching and moaning. And have you ever made a is, major decision about the show, or even a minor decision based on something that um, happened in Twitter? No. Or actually, like, oh, they're not feeling that relationship. I had to tell the writers because the writers. Um, would uh, some of the writers really were really into Twitter and they ran the faking a writer's Twitter feed and they're very engaged with fans and I had to be like guys I don't want to I don't want to make decisions in this room based on whether fans are going to be happy that's not what I'm doing I'm not right. I I have a story I want to tell we have a story we want to tell let's tell that story in the best way possible and if fans don't like it they can stop watching it and we'll get canceled <laughs> you know like to me that's it, it I don't want to get in the business of using Twitter as uh, as a feedback loop, because then I'm, what am I? Yeah. What's who? Am, why? Exactly. Just, what's what's my point? Am yeah, I just? Am, yeah. Why am I doing this? Right. So I, I love that. Yeah. Um, last question: If you could go back and talk to the guy that first arrived in LA about what's ahead for him, or give him any advice, or some words of wisdom, uh, don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. Just if I could take back. Were you a worrier? I'm still a worrier, but I'm I'm you know I'm less of a worrier because I have some money in the bank, you know. Right. So I don't worry about the financial downside as much as I did. But you know, I wasted a lot of time worrying. It it was fuel, but I think they're better sources of fuel. Yeah, know? I I agree. And and uh, so I would just tell him to chill out on everything, whether I have success as a writer, whether I meet someone and fall in love, whether I. You know, buy a house one day, whether I'd be happy, whether I'd travel, you know, all that. Like, it'll all happen the way it's supposed to, so. I love that. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you, Carter. Thank you. Go watch Faking It. All the episodes are online. On Hulu. On Hulu. Or iTunes. Are you on Hulu now? We are on Hulu. Nice. Yes, I think they're all on. There's a little bit of delay when they put them on, but they should should be there. There you go. Awesome. Congrats, and um, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Carter Covington for a great interview. All right, so this happened. I went to Puerto Rico. Uh, I went there to write about it for Man About World, uh, the online magazine, and uh, I got to stay in San Juan. I was there for three nights, um, four days, sort of, and um, I had a great time. And I actually recorded a podcast with a gentleman named J.C. Kappas, who is the gay and lesbian... Um, ambassador for the hotel I stayed at, which was the Renaissance La Concha. So I'm going to have him coming up in a future episode. Uh, But before I went, I helped out with some public service announcements about Get Out the Vote that Equality California is putting out. And my friend Guy Shalem was producing and directing them, and he asked me to come and help out. And it was just a bunch of different types of people, a lot of GLBTs and allies um, talking about why people should get out and vote. So... It was the day before I went to Puerto Rico. I just went out there and threw out some funny lines to different people. And um, actually, they turned out really good. They were going to just do one spot, but they had so many um, people and so much good material that they did three spots. So I will post those on the Dennis Anyone Facebook page so you can see how they turned out. Um, Most of the script was written, but I threw out some funny lines. And my favorite line was... um, the uh, actor and director, Michael Serrato, who some of you may know from the Big Gay Sketch Show, um, his line was, uh, what was it? Okay, he goes like this. Everyone's saying, go out and vote. You need to vote, da-da-da-da-da. And he goes, the last time gay people didn't vote, Adam Lambert came in second. And he delivers it so well, and it's my line, and I'm very proud of that line. It's kind of fun. It's a little edgy. Nobody goes down. It doesn't make fun of anyone. Maybe Chris Allen might... I don't think his feelings will get hurt, uh, who won that year on Idol. But anyway, it was a fun thing to be a part, uh, part of, and um, you can see those on the Dennis Anyone Facebook page. All right, so that's it for now. Hope to see you next time, or hear you next time, or you hear me, or whatever. however that works. I'm still new to the whole tech thing. I don't know what I'm talking about. Have a great day, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! Bye.